Today, I'm going to walk you through the wonderful world of safety gear. I know, very exciting topic. We're going to talk about what you need depending on the size of the boat, where you're operating your boat. I'm going to talk a little bit about how to store your items. I'm going to give you some pro tips on what to do with the items and a whole bunch of other fun things. So thanks for joining me. Hey there, and welcome to your pocket sailing instructor. I'm Penny Caldwell, and I have been a sailing coach for over 25 years now. I'm here to help you reach your sailing goals, whether you're looking for gear reviews, safety tips, or just some fun sailing stories. This podcast will have it all. Your Pocket Sailing Instructor is an educational and fun podcast about all things sailing. I plan on releasing weekly episodes every Thursday to help you end off your week on a high note. So grab your coffee and join me for your weekly dose of all things sailing. Hey everyone, happy Thursday and welcome to another episode of your Pocket Sailing Instructor. I have finally received uh, some of my audio equipment, so hopefully things are sounding a little bit better. I can't guarantee that there won't be any bloopers as I still don't know how to edit the audio, but that will come in time. Uh, So today we are talking about all things safety. Um, I shouldn't say all things because that's a pretty broad range of items, but uh, we're going to talk about items that you should consider having on your boat. So we're going to take a look at different sizes and types of boats, what kind of gear you have to have with you when you're out on the boat, uh, what is required by law, and I'm also going to touch on where you can buy it, how to store it, how to use it, when to replace it, a whole slew of really important information for you to know. All right, so before we do our deep dive into safety gear, I'm going to first talk about the framework for safe boating in Canada. So how do all of these different pieces come together? And basically here in Canada, we have seven acts, codes and regulations that work together uh, to create safe boating practices in Canada. And they also outline, you know, enforcement and stuff like that. So, uh, so I'm just going to go through those quickly so that you guys don't think I'm just randomly making these things up. Uh, There actually are different documents that you can refer to. So the first one is the Canada Shipping Act. Um, It incorporates international rules uh, into a framework that governs the operations of vessels in Canadian waters. So it's kind of like the Umbrella Act uh, under which all of our other boating regulations are developed. So one of these would be, it would include, you know, if you see somebody in distress, you have to come to their aid. So that is outlined under the Canada Shipping Act. Next, you have the small vessels regulations. Uh, The small vessels regulations is all about the construction standards and uh, the safety, safe operating of vessels, including uh, vessel maintenance, uh, the state of the vessel, whether or not it is seaworthy, uh, what type of safety equipment need to, needs to be carried on board. So that's the one that we're going to be using today to talk about some of the different safety equipment and, and how things should be maintained. Um, so this regulation, for instance, would explain when you need to license 
your vessel. Uh, it includes like the capacity plates. So on your boat, like if you have a Zodiac, you'll have a little metal plate that tells you how, what horsepower your boat can have, how many people you can have on board, that kind of thing. That is all derived through the small vessel regulations. Then we get into the collision regulations. Uh, the collision regulation regulations are kind of like your rules of the road. Um, they are the rules that govern the safe passage and the rights of way and, you know, boats that are crossing or overtaking each other, different sound signals. So that is all contained within the collision regulations. Sometimes those are called the call regs. So you might hear me mention the call regs. Um, so those rules for sure, we need to be aware of those when you're out on the water. They also, um, include the regulations that outline the skipper responsibilities on the boat. So important to know that one. Uh, boating restriction regulations uh, govern and standardize some of the speed limits in different areas or the restricted uh, boating areas. So if there's an area that you're not allowed boating in, that would be outlined in the boating restriction regulations and usually has to do with local areas. Then we have our charts and nautical publications regulations. So these are the regulations that tell us that we need to have on your boat at all times the most recent large-scale chart and various publications to help you read your charts uh, so that you are familiar with the, the waters that you're operating in. And then uh, we also have the criminal code. And some people don't realize the criminal code also applies when you're out on the water. And one of the um, offenses under the criminal code that is outlined is that when you are towing a water skier, you have to have a des designated lookout person. A lot of people don't realize that that is actually a criminal code offense, not to have a designated lookout person when you're towing a water skier. Um... And then also we have our Contraventions Act. So the Contraventions Act was created to provide uh, law enforcement agencies with the power, the scope that they need to help enforce uh, some of these boating uh, restrictions and, and infractions and rules out on the water. So the primary enforcement body would be the Canadian Coast Guard and then outside of areas that don't have Canadian Coast Guard coverage. So for instance, Nelson, for instance, we don't have the Coast Guard out here very often. Um, we would have our local law enforcement that would come out and, and enforce any kind of boating restrictions and regulations. And that can also extend to conservation as well. So there you have it, the long list of different um, acts, codes, and regulations that basically create the framework for safe boating in Canada. All right, now that we have uh, covered the boring stuff, let's move on to the more interesting or exciting stuff. I'm going to start off talking about uh, smaller boats that are unpowered. So non-motorized vessels under six meters. So this would be your canoes, kayaks, stand-up paddle boards, uh, rowboat even. So smaller boats. 
Um, and all of the things that I'm talking about here are available in a publication that's called the Safe Boating Guide. It's a Transport Canada publication. You can Google it, look it up online, and uh, they have all the information there that you need depending on your boat and actually where your boat is operating because that also affects what you might need on board. But so for now, I'm going to take a look at kayaks and stand up paddle boards. So first thing that you should have with you is a personal flotation device or a life jacket. So those two are different. Um, they perform kind of the same same idea, help you float if you fall in the water, especially up here in Canada. Our water is uh, quite cool. So uh, cold water shock is definitely a consideration and hypothermia if you're in the water long enough. So make sure you have some sort of personal flotation device to help you float. So life jacket. In my previous episodes, I've talked about uh, making sure that you have one that fits you correctly, that's comfortable, nice bright color, has to be Transport Canada approved. So if you are shopping, let's say at Walmart or any other um, cross-border type of um, shopping spot, then what you want to do is check the inside of the jacket to make sure that it does have that Canadian approval, not US Coast Guard approved. So that would be your life jacket. Make sure it's in good condition. It's only gonna help you if you're wearing it, especially the number of times I see people on stand-up paddle boards and they've got like their dog or something with them and the dog's wearing a PFD, but they don't have one on themselves. Just, <laughs> I find that kind of ironic. Um, so yeah, get yourself a, a good, comfortable life jacket. The next thing that you're going to want to have is called a heaving line or a throw bag. Uh, it's a floating line, basically. You need to have at least 15 meters, so that's almost 50 feet of floating line. Uh, you can buy this in uh, a, a safety kit already where it's packaged in a bag. There's a handle on the bag, a little float. Uh, it's very easy to throw the bag out to somebody. So the idea here is having some sort of line that if, let's say, you're in a rowboat with a friend, your friend falls out, they're floating along with their life jacket on, you can throw the heaving line at them and now you've made a connection with them and you can help bring them back to the boat. It could also just be that you're out uh, maybe in your kayak and your kayak flips over and then there's somebody who's coming to help you. You could actually use your throw bag again to throw towards the person that's coming to help you. They can grab it and now you've made a connection. So uh, the heaving line is, you can think of it as kind of like a retrieval line. So it's a way to uh, make a connection between two vessels or two people so that you guys can help each other out. So that's the next thing that you should have. And then uh, one of the last things that you should have is a sound signaling device. So fancy word for a whistle or even a uh, air horn. You can get an air horn as well. And uh, basically the idea with this is having something that can attract attention to you. So if you are in trouble and there are boats or other people in the area, or even if you're near shore and you want to attract attention, you can start using a whistle and you can basically start making all kinds of noise so that people will be able to hear you and hopefully come and help you out. So those are your kind of your first base base level safety gear that you should have with you. Um, and also with these, uh, all of these types of vessels, so canoes, kayaks, sups, and rowboats, you're going to also have some sort of manual propelling device, they call it, fancy words for a paddle. 
paddle is also something that you're going to want to have on your boat so that you can obviously operate the boat and move it around, but can also be used as a, a piece of safety gear. Again, if we look at the you know, the kayak example, you flip your kayak, now you have your paddle, maybe you can't reach your heaving line to throw to a boat that's coming to help you, but you could reach your paddle over, they can grab one end of the paddle, you have the other end, and again, you're making a connection together. So that's how um, you could also use a paddle if you need help that way. So those are your first base um, boats and first level of items that you would have. Next thing, we would move up to a personal watercraft. So this is your Sea-Doo. So now we're moving into the motorized side of things. So if you add a motor to your uh, vessel, uh, even a little dinghy, for instance, a little Zodiac with an outboard, you want to add a fire extinguisher. So for a, a boat that is six meters or less, you wanna have a five BC fire extinguisher. Um, and again, this is all in the manual or in the safe boating guide that you can look at. Again, paddle. The other thing that um, is added at this point is an anchor with 15 meters. So again, 50 feet of rope or road, as we like to call it. Uh, so in this case, you would have an anchor so that if you need to secure your boat, you can lower your anchor and secure it off. So. Um, and the other thing that you would want to add at this point, and I would even suggest it when you're out on a canoe or a kayak or your paddleboard or anything like that, is a watertight flashlight. So sometimes when you're out in the water out here in the Kootenays with the mountains, we have some pretty strange weather sometimes. And sometimes the visibility will change quickly. Like if a, a squall is coming through, for instance, out on the Great Lakes, we used to be able to watch the squalls for hours before they would hit us. But uh, here we're surrounded by the mountains, so we don't have that warning time. And so sometimes you might have a, a significant change in visibility and it might happen quickly. So one of the things that you could have on your boat would be a watertight flashlight so that you have some sort of light source. So the idea with this is not necessarily that, you know, it's going to help you see better when you're out on your boat. It, it might have a strong enough light that it, you'll be able to see where you're going, but it's more so about lighting up you and your boat so that if somebody is out boating around, they will hopefully see your flashlight and then they'll know that you're there. Um, and then they will be able to go around you. So these smaller boats are probably not equipped with navigation lights, and I'm going to talk about those in a minute. Um, so if you don't have navigation lights, a substitute for that at, for this size boat would be a flashlight. So I would definitely recommend that. And the other thing I wanted to mention with the personal watercraft or with the, the Sea-Doo, um, you are not allowed to wear inflatable life jackets or inflatable PFDs. So those are like the... Uh, let's say the Mustang brand life jackets, they have a CO2 cartridge. And when you go in the water, you either pull a cord to inflate the life jacket or the water will dissolve a, a tablet in there and then it will ignite the um, life jacket as well and inflate it for you. Those are not permitted to be worn on a Sea-Doo. Um, so you need to be wearing a standard issue uh, PFD or life jacket, not an inflatable one. So next up, we're going to move up to the six to nine meter range boats. So sailboats and power boats in the six to nine meter range. And you'll see as the boats are getting bigger, we're adding more things. 
Um, and also actually I just double checked and for your boats under six meters, you do require a flashlight. So even for those rowboats, kayaks, um, even though I recommended it, it is required. So make sure you have a flashlight in there as well. And one of the uh, things that you can do with all of these items, this would be one of my pro tips, is you can create basically a safety kit or a waterproof kit where you can keep all of these things together. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that towards the end of the episode in my pro tip section. Um, but yeah, keep that in mind. So the six to nine meter range boat. Now we are adding in some extra items. If you have a freeboard of more than half a meter, you need to add a reboarding device or a ladder. So what is freeboard? Freeboard is the distance from the waterline to the top of your hull basically. So what is the distance that somebody would need to pull themselves up and into your boat? So basically half a meter, so about a foot and a half, really um, is quite low. So especially for boats within this range, you know, a little fishing boat you might have uh, at the stern, you might have a cutout where it's low enough that somebody could try to pull themselves up. But again, remember in Canada, we have cold water. So you don't have a lot of time where your muscles and your body are going to be able to help you get up into your boat if you're pulling yourself up out of the water. So um, definitely having a ladder is uh, a huge asset for your safety gear. The best type of ladder to have would be one that is fixed on your transom, it's called, or the stern at the stern of the boat, so at the back of the boat. Um, it's designed to be there. It's integrated with your boat. Um, so those are the best types of ladders to get, something that was already designed for your boat. If that's not an option, there are several different types of ladders that you can purchase that you can add to your boat. Um, so one of the more popular ones is kind of like a, it's a plastic ladder with uh, plastic hooks that you would hook over the side of your boat. So you'd hook them over. The rest of the ladder is in the water. It has little legs to try and keep it kind of away from the hull. And then the person would try to pull themselves up using that ladder. Those ladders, like I said, are quite popular, but they're really difficult to use. Um, a lot of times the ladder will kind of conform to the, the shape of the hull. One of the things that I do when I use a ladder like that is I'll actually take a fender and I'll tie a fender off uh, behind the ladder. So basically in between the hull and the ladder itself, I have a fender that helps to hold the ladder off of the hull so that the ladder doesn't start to go under or conform around the shape of the hull. But um, those types of ladders, you definitely need somebody in the boat who is holding the hooks that the ladder has on the side, or even um, you would have to tie off those hooks so that the ladder stays put. Really tricky. Um, another type of ladder that you could get, uh, they have rope ladders. So again, uh, you'd tie off the, the top part on your um, boat and then the ladder would be hanging down in the water. So even more so than the plastic ladder, this one is even harder to use because again, it's going to conform to the this shape of your hull. So if you have a really rounded hull, the minute the person in the water puts their foot on that bottom ladder rung, it's going to push right underneath the boat and then they're going to be trying to basically pull them up 
pull themselves up right up uh, against gravity as well. So these ladders are pretty difficult. So the best thing that you can have on your boat would be to have a ladder that is designed and fit to your boat and to your hull that's permanently fixed basically, or even like a clip on clip off type thing. Um, but yeah, something that is a little more conducive to your hull size and shape. So if you're freeboard, the distance from the water to the top of your hull is more than half a meter. You have to have a, a ladder. The next thing that you have to have is a manual baler or a water pump. So these need to be manual and not electric. So the idea with the safety gear here is if your batteries die, will you still be able to use it? So in this case, uh, if you're taking on water, you need to be able to pump out this water. So uh, depending on the size of the boat, you could even just take a, an old milk jug, cut out the bottom and you've got yourself a little baler. We have some balers that are kind of look like bicycle pumps, air pumps. So they have a, a, a handle that goes up and down. And then the hose that you have would be um, push, putting the water overboard. The trick with those, however, is that the hose needs to be long enough to go from the deepest point in your boat out and over the side of your hull. So depending on the size and length of your boat, you could be looking at quite a bit of hose that you would have to have. So just keep that one in mind. I already mentioned a fire extinguisher, size 5BC. When you get into these larger size boats, so the six to nine meter range, so a, you know maybe a 24 foot sailing boat, let's say, um, if you have any kind of cooking appliance on board, or if you have an inboard engine with an inboard fuel tank, you need to add another extinguisher. So for each additional source or potential source of fire on your boat, you should add another extinguisher. And for best practices, a lot of people will also add an extinguisher up in the V-berth. So that's up in the bow. Um, basically, for that reason, it's just based on the fact that if something starts up in the bow of the boat, a fire starts up there, by the time you run to the stern, dig out your uh, fire extinguisher and go all the way back up to the bow, it might be too late. So boats are full of all kinds of flammables. We use all kinds of uh, crazy paints and everything to keep our investments nice and pretty. And unfortunately, those are really toxic and uh, they will light up quite quickly. So having an extra extinguisher on board is not a bad idea. Make sure you're checking them frequently, checking to make sure they're charged. Uh, having them mounted and easily accessible is great. One of the things that I have on my boat in my galley, so in the kitchen cooking area, is I have a fire blanket. So if for some reason I'm cooking, maybe I'm you know making some hot chocolate or something like that, something starts to boil over, uh, I can grab that blanket, snuff out the fire. The nice thing with the blanket too is it's reusable. So you can put out a fire with it, wash it up, fold it up, put it back and use it again at a later date. So, um, so that would be for, you know, fire management. And then, uh, at this point in a boat, this size, we start getting into flares and I'm going to talk about the different types of flares. There are actually four types, uh, on a boat this size though, only three of the types are recommended. So the one type of flare that is not recommended for a boat this size is called type D. Um, it's a smoke flare. 
And basically, it's only visible during the day because it's smoke. It's not lit up. It's uh, it's not a traditional uh, fire-type flare. And so these types of flares are generally used for boats that tend to be more uh, offshore or further from land where there's going to be overhead aircraft looking for them. So that's why they're generally not recommended on a boat this size because A, they're only visible during the day, and B, you're probably operating closer to land if you're on a, a boat in the six to nine meter range. So the f- three flares that are recommended for boats this size, uh, first one is type A. A is a parachute flare, tends to go the highest and burns the longest, can burn between you know 40 seconds to a minute or so, um, and goes the highest. So if you know near land, uh, it will be more visible. And type B is your multi-star flare. So the multi-star flare uh, sends out two kind of bursts of of flame. Uh, The most um, popular type for this one is actually like a little gun. So there's an orange gun and then you just buy the cartridges to go in it. So in this case, you would need 12 cartridges to make up the six flares that you uh, require on the boat. And some of these... um, flare requirements are changing in the new year. So I will probably do another episode or update this episode uh, with some of that new information once it's all confirmed and approved. But um, so multi-star is your type B. So this one will not go as high as type A, but um, also goes up. You fire it off the boat, downwind, away from your sails and all that stuff uh, and visible during the day or at night. And then type C is your handheld flare. And the handheld flare, just like the name, you hang on to it, you hold it uh, off your boat, downwind of your boat, and um, it's visible during the day and at night as well. And with type C, I always recommend that you pack a pair of uh, garden gloves with that because you will be holding on to it and you don't want to get any of that flare near you when you are setting it off. So those are your types of flares. So the next thing that we need on a boat this size is uh, navigation lights. Navigation lights generally for the most part are installed in the factory. They are set up on the boat for you so you don't normally have to worry about uh, installing them. You might have to replace them however. So uh, basically on a sailboat we have two bow lights. So two lights up at the front pointy end of the boat. And then we have a stern light. Uh, The bow lights you have on the right side of the boat, which is your starboard side, you're going to have a green light. And then on the left side of the boat, uh, on your port side, you're going to have a red light. And then off of the stern of the boat at the back, you are going to have a white light. So that would be for your sailboat. They have different angles and different arcs. Um, Again, if you are replacing lights on your boat, you can just uh, indicate what kind of light you're replacing. So you would say, I'm replacing my starboard or right side bow light. And um, where you're ordering the lights from, they will know that you're looking for the green light that has 112.5 degrees. But you don't need to worry about that for for your purposes. Um, And then for a power boat, it's the same 
basically set up. You have bow lights, so you have the green on the right, you're going to have the red on the left, and the white at the stern. And then uh, for the power boat, though, we have an all-round white light. So sometimes that is the stern light. So if you have a fishing boat, for instance, they'll have like a post that you put in at the stern, and it has an all-round white light. So if you were coming head-on towards a power boat, and you're looking at it, basically what you would see is you would see a, around the water level, maybe a couple feet up from the water, you will see a green light and a red light coming towards you. And above those two lights, you will see a white light. And that's how you know that you are looking at a power boat. If you only see a green light and a red light coming towards you, that's a sailboat. So with no white light above the bow lights, that's a sailboat. So um, those are your navigation lights. When you are at anchor, you would just use an all-round white light. Um, so that's when you're anchoring. And like I mentioned, with the smaller boats, um, definitely have your flashlight out because, again, you can not only use that potentially to see where you're going, but you can also use that to have other people see that you are there. So a couple additional items I want to mention here is if you are using your boat away from shore and away from navigational aids, um, you want to have a compass on board, a magnetic compass that is mounted on your boat somewhere, um, usually installed by a professional. You can also install one yourself depending on your skill level, but uh, so compass, highly recommended. And if you are operating your boat in an area with commercial traffic, traffic lanes, that kind of thing, you also want to look at having a radar reflector that you would put up on the boat as well. So there you have it for um, required safety gear on different types of vessels. So my hot tip for this episode is create yourself a safety bag or sometimes called a ditch bag, basically a waterproof box where you could keep all of these items or several of these items uh, together. You know exactly where they are. They're packed away. They stay nice and dry. Another thing that I do on my boat is I create a diagram of the boat and I will uh, indicate what safety gear is where on the boat. And so that's something that when I have guests come out with me and I'm getting the sails organized, I can have them go and take a look at the diagram. They can find things and read, get them to read uh, the flares and the fire extinguisher, how to use them. Uh, it's a really fun thing to do with kids. Actually, if you have them on board, you kind of turn it into a bit of a scavenger hunt and you get them to find, you know, go find the paddle or tell me where the anchor is, that kind of thing. So you can turn it into a bit of a fun game when you have people come on the boat uh, with you. So great idea to make a diagram, have a waterproof box or bag where you can keep some of the items together. I have um, a dry bag that I use for my stand-up paddleboard that has my heaving line, has my whistle, has a flashlight, and then I also throw in some extra snacks and water in case I get hungry or thirsty while I'm out paddling around. But uh, there you have it. Mm -hmm. 
Thanks for joining me for this week's episode of Your Pocket Sailing Instructor. I hope that you found this information helpful and a reminder that you can find all of the safety gear listed in the Safe Boating Guide, which is the Transport Canada publication available online. You can just Google it. I will also have links in my show notes at sailnelson.com forward slash podcast, where you can find all of this information as well. I hope you have a wonderful week and to Tune in next week when I talk about some off-season training and some ideas on how to keep your sailing skills sharp and how to increase your knowledge in the off-season when maybe your boat is not in the water, but you can still get out there and learn all kinds of things. So hope you have a great week. Talk to you soon.